Welcome to Washington's most controversial, the most raw, unfiltered, uncut podcast. Hosted by Seattle-based Commander-in-Chief of Laughter, General Mutombo. Love from Washington State, USA. Y'all, Wagwan people, Wagwan, Wagwan, and welcome to Seattle's top comedy podcast, the African Excellence Podcast, hosted by yours truly, the Fresh Prince of Africa, comedian General Mutombo, aka Dubai Dennis Mamba. On the African Excellence Podcast, we discuss trending topics related to pop culture, politics, relationships, and more. We are based in the Pacific Northwest. If you're new, welcome to the show. We are here in the Pacific Northwest, the land of rain, 365 days a year, Seattle, Washington. On this show, we profile some of the extraordinary Africans making a meaningful and affirmative contribution to our community, our cities, our countries, the continent, and the entire world. Today, I have a hot topic for y'all. I hope you're having a fabulous Tuesday because I'm ready. Are you ready? Today, we're going to speak about insecurities. We're going to speak about the cancel culture. And I don't want to spoil it for y'all, so we'll be right back. Boom! Kaboom. today's topic we are gonna be breaking down the 12 reasons people get offended easily the quote for today is from our african proverbs which says bring water and not kerosene to a fire the question i want to pose to you guys today is why are people so easily offended we live in a world where everyone is offended by everything. Like literally, you go to YouTube right now or any social media platform, you will see a woman, a lady, a girl, someone minding his own business, making Gulfscot cookies or somebody just fixing his house. And under the comments, this person is basically not doing nothing but minding his own business and recording himself while he's doing it. And you will see people are offended by this very innocent posts and it doesn't matter what it is what they're posting it doesn't matter if it's dope or not it could be the color of a person's hair the way they hold a spoon the tone of their voice or it could be because of something they saw on social media everybody lately has something to say everybody they're sensitive about something and when they come across it they openly want to express that they are upset you know the story you make an innocent comment about something you noticed. Like, hey, for example, hey, uh, yesterday I saw Chris Rock had a funny special. Something you've noticed. Or something you've noticed in your friend, a partner or a work colleague. Something they have done. 
And the next thing you know, you have taken an embrace, you have taken an unprecedented anger and people are looking at you with their inner voices talking quietly like, how dare you pass a comment on my choice of a partner or the kind of shoes I'm wearing or the color of my hair or the life decisions I've made or the projects I'm doing at work. Delete that shit. It's inappropriate. I remember I have been in this position before at the beginning of the year when somebody commented on my picture about the kind of shoes I wore and I did not the guy I apologized to that friend of mine I the reaction I had was based on my past experience the year before about people coming for me online I felt mortified and that was not what I intended I churned this conversation inside my head and I'm like what made you comment like that what made you think these shoes are not Prada like the other guys and then I felt later on that these are the questions that go through your mind. What did I say? Am I insensitive? Are the people I'm addressing over insensitive? And be no, before you know it, a molehill slowly turns into a mountain. But what if the truth was a little less dramatic and but nonetheless a little more difficult to navigate? Well, in this podcast, I will discuss why people are easily offended and 12 signs you need to watch out for to make sure you don't fit in that group of people who are easily offended. Welcome to the show again. Reason number one, anxiety disorder. People who are easily offended have an abnormal desire for control and they actually suffer from anxiety. It is estimated that during our leisure time alone, we process almost over 100,000 words every day. And in order to understand one person speaking to us, we need to process 60 bits of information per second. People who are easily offended struggle with a lot of anxiety. They are used to being in control of things in their lives. They normally live and operate in a world where they feel like they are in control. They believe that everything they say is right and their insight towards the truth is actually a truth. This leaves no room for other people's thoughts and beliefs. Do you have a friend who anytime you tell them like, hey, yesterday the game between KU and North Carolina, KU won. And they're always like, no, they didn't. It was all because of the refs. Have you ever met people like that? They're always like coming. They never just want to believe the truth for what it is. Social anxiety disorder is a mental health disorder that can lead to a perception of being easily offended, like you're always easily provoked. This disorder is fairly common, affecting about 77% of Americans, um, according to the National Institute of Health, and about one in every 15 people. Taking offense when people come for you, while you're perceiving people are coming for you, is perceived as an insult and can be a functional anxiety, can be a can be something they consider a functional anxiety in that it requires that they ask the other person who you're addressing acknowledge and potentially tailor their thinking and behavior to match yours, the person who's offended by the other person's worldview. Essentially, they have, to, they have a need to see a vision of the truth as the only truth. And this is hard to mitigate, especially when you're having a different experience from that person. Anytime, and I know you guys have witnessed this firsthand. I know I have a lot of witness for this. Anytime you attend a party or an, a huge social gathering, the odds are good that you'll interact with at least one person who's so struggling with social anxiety. I remember when I used to go to my African parties or when I hosted them. I am a comedian. 
I do a lot of jokes, dark or not. And when I see someone overreacting to a harmless joke about the dress they wore or how they did their hair, and then they decide to leave abruptly because of a slight uncomfortable interaction, I... I started considering that it might be a mental health disorder and not really a personality trait that is driven by their reaction. This is the Pacific Northwest and a lot of people are sensitive. Number two, they may be driven by guilt. People who have engaged in offensive behavior before sometimes have a tendency to overcompensate with moral rectitude as a part as a way to help lessen the guilt they're feeling, as well as convince everybody else, including themselves, that they're not truly a bad person. Some people overreact to situations where they know before they took advantage of people. I know there's a guy in college, I remember, who used to get very sensitive when we spoke about... uh, domestic violence or like women punching people. And I realized this guy used to be an abuser when he was young. He used to punch his girlfriends back in Africa. Along those lines, it can also be a form of projection, which is a psychological defense mechanism we all use at some point to tolerate our negative attributes. Taking offense can be a way to disown the part of ourselves that might actually agree with what is being said by putting the responsibility on the other person. Number three, insecurity and low self-esteem. I know we all are familiar with people who are insecure and have low self-esteem. Self-esteem at a basic level can be defined as the value we place on ourselves, oneself. When people don't feel good about themselves, they quite often project those feelings onto others, meaning Any and every little thing they hear might be interpreted as something negative or a critique. Whereas someone with high self-esteem would be able to hear the same comment and either consider the source and not take it personally or consider the source and take the comment as constructive feedback, somebody who's insecure will always try to start a fight. I had a roast last year called the General Mutombo, Roast of General Mutombo. And some of my friends who showed up do not understand what a roast is. It's a comedy show where one person's uh, uh, ego is being punched by other artists in the name of fun and just laughter, just punching the ego, but it's good and it's genuine and it's humane. But some other people were like, oh, Dubai, how they told you this joke was more painful. I would have not taken it. Oh, they told you about, oh, you talk too loud. Oh, when you're on stage, you almost sound like you're screaming. Oh, your accent is like this. If I was insecure, I would have looked at it like, like they were coming for me. But I'm looking at the source, the landscape, the setting. This is actually constructive feedback. I need to work on my mic skills. That's what I take from it. People who feel insecure have often been invalidated and learned others will not respond to their needs in helpful and meaning ways. They typically have not learned how to get over their needs met assertively and often responds in a passive aggressive manner. As a result, they may find that they are easily offended than others as a way of acknowledging their pain. Like you're angry, but your your anger, you're redirecting it to the wrong people. And you seek validation from that negative experience. Some people may develop insecure attachment in their childhood, which continues way into their adulthood. I personally know some people who don't think that their needs are met. Like they're in a room and you feel like they're the only ones who are cranky. Therefore, they shut down their own needs 
or they overreact. There are two responses. They either overreact or they shut down. They overreact and get offended by people for not getting what they actually want. They start thinking that people are not there for them. And those type of people, they start thinking like everybody's taking advantage of them. And that's why they become inflexible. And inflexibility in itself is a trauma response. Number four, they are trying to rewrite a pain from their past. Basically, their past live experiences were kind of sour. There are a lot of people and we come from different backgrounds. I am personally, I'm from Africa. There's some people from Asia. There are immigrants from other transplants from other cities. I'm in Seattle. I'm a transplant from Wichita, Kansas. I think people's past live experiences shape how they perceive and interpret other people's actions and words. Something people said in to something you might say to one person, this is purely genuine, might occur totally different to another individual. Offensive comments are just that to a listener. As somebody wants to be offended, will always see everything and hear everything as offensive. Offensive comments tend to strike deeply as a past pain that has not been worked through yet. Plug therapy. Being offended is a way to validate and address the pain by speaking to it and for it. In the moment and in a way that a person may not have been able to do in the past. It's as if they're standing up for themselves in a way. Like, you know, people are fighting a bull battle from back in the day, like retro, like they were taken back in time and something happened and they want to fix it. Like you did this to me because you said this and my dad used to say this and it has nothing to do with you. On occasion, we all become offended because we're human. But sometimes it's an appropriate response and sometimes it's not. You don't need to be offended all the time. There are several reasons we are offended too easily. For example, let me give you a prime example of my own life. Two years ago, before the pandemic, for those who don't know, Seattle was one of the first cities, if not the first city, to go under lockdown when the pandemic hit. We were the first people to get the the vaccines and stuff. It was crazy. I was a host of a sold-out cultural festival at the Seattle Art Museum. Shout out to One Vibe Africa. And this one random guy approached me, and the first thing he said to me was, Hakuna Matara, my man, which means no problems in Swahili. From an outsider's perspective, a person might think there's something, there's nothing offensive about that. Actually, they might think you're simply being friendly by saying hello. As we all know, Akuna Matata, uh, which has been, uh, which has been uh, trademarked by Disney World, is in a lot of African-themed movies. Everybody knows what Akuna Matata means, even if they haven't been to Africa. But as a Kenyan-American, I was highly offended and annoyed by it. And simply groaned, hi, just, ah, yeah, and walked away. Little did he know about my past lived experience. As an expatriate, I once, I, I have had a life, a lifetime of being shamed for being African or being Swahili or being dark-skinned because uh, at home we have colorism as well. And number two, we have, there have been several instances through my life in Wichita, Kansas, where I could be walking down the street after a club, after a meal, I'm going on a date, out walking from class, walking from Radigan Center, and strangers would stroll down the windows of their cars or just walk past me and scream, yo, kumbaya, man, what's up? Or Wakanda forever, man. And they do that sign across your chest as a form of racially charged harassment. So needless to say, I was offended by the fact that this was the first thing that came out of his mouth because he was making an assumption that I speak Swahili based on my appearance. I think I blame it on my dashiki shirt. 
The communication course I took during the pandemic taught me that walking away from that situation and being offended and not expressing why I was upset by it will leave the other guy being ignorant. The other guy will probably continue to speak to other people who look quote-unquote African when they may or may not be able to speak the language. What I needed to recognize that was I was reacting based on my past lived experience and understand that he meant no harm by it. No later that weekend, I decided to call him, ask him out for coffee and tell him about why I was offended and my past lived experiences so that he could better understand why I thought it was inappropriate. See, solution, offense, solution. It's all about perspective. Number five, lack of communication. When I think of communication styles, I primarily, I'm primarily referring to being assertive, passive, or aggressive. The most ideal communication style is assertive, like make it, but not being outrightly aggressive. When people are uncomfortable in asking for clarification of comment, they may be offended by something that was not meant to be offensive at all. This representation, this representative of representation of a person with a passive communication style is quite often, but not always, a reflection of low self-esteem. Why are you not assertive? Why are you not bringing your points? Why are you looking down? Why is your voice quivering? Rather than clarify the comment, they internalize it. Not everything has to be clarified by the receiver of the comment. Must, must have a good sense of high or low self-esteem in order to hear the comment or take it personally. To clarify, let's use an example. I get into arguments with my brother in Kenya, Clinton, about the frequency of which I need to call him. If you have relatives in Africa, you totally understand me at this point. You have relatives calling you from Africa, and they can't stop calling you, especially when they need money, especially when there's something they consider, quote-unquote, urgent, but you're busy. Bills in America are kind of high. People are always working. People are always at work. Nobody just has free time to be on the phone for hours. Even our lunch breaks and our, and our, and our breaks, just regular breaks, are not that long enough to entertain a long conversation. So I have a situation here. Clinton, my brother, may start calling me at work if he feels the need to. He leaves multiple messages on my voicemail and sends me rapid fire texts on my WhatsApp if I don't pick up. I could say, bro, listen, skizabana, I have a life out of you. I have a life outside of you and I'm not on call, Buddha. Or I can say, Buddha, you are really needy. You need to get some hobbies, Buddha. You're calling me too much. Buddha means like, yo, big bro, bro, bro. That's what he means in Swahili. But neither statement would help this situation. If, even if there are true statements, what could help is if I describe the dynamic to my brother. Hey, broski, I would go. Hey, broski, you know that thing where, you know, you know that thing where you do when you call me, I don't pick up and you keep trying to text me and you shoot me all those fire texts and I still don't pick up. And then we both blow each other's uh, phone up when we talk. How can we change that? I'm worried it's taking a toll on both of us because we both have, uh, definitely, clearly we are uncomfortable. You're calling, I'm not picking and I'm bothered by how much you're calling. This way, I'm allowing, I'm giving my brother Clinton a chance to be part of the solution instead of being the problem. There's your friend. He always eats you up when you're going out to drink. 
or whenever it's Friday night or Saturday night. That's the only time he wants to hit you up. And sometimes uh, somebody who's in a different uh, setup, like myself, who's married, I feel like it's nagging. You know, I have a wife. I can't be leaving my house at midnight to go drink with you. How do you make this friend a part of the solution? You say, hey, bro, listen, uh, you know this thing where we've been doing like, where you call me, I ignore you every Friday night, you know, and you keep calling, you keep calling, you keep calling, then you apologize on Saturday morning. Uh, what can, how can we change that? I'm worried it's taking a toll on both of us. Lack of communication. People who like sometimes send you DMs if you're a lady and they come off, oh, you're sweetie, you're sunshine, and you don't like some words and you keep ignoring these DMs and you want to block these people, but you feel like you'll, you'll be too much for them. How can you go around it? You can, you can start like, hey, uh, excuse me, sir. You know this thing where you keep on DMing me and liking all my pictures and sending me your dick pics and all you, you keep trying to reach out to me and I am not responding. How can we change that? I'm worried it might take a toll on both of us and I might end up blocking you. Simple. Are we having a problem fitting this scenario in your scenario? Because think about it. If I was teaching this technique to some of my students, I was teaching students at the youth summit last year, they would look at me like a deer in headlights with so many questions. Remember other people are entitled to the opinion and it's not, not your obligation to accommodate it. Well, I could say something like, oh yeah, bro, I know you've said you don't understand why I don't pick up. You've made that clear. I have said that I'm not going to do that. So I wonder what else we can do since it's not happening. If it's a lady who's feeling like some guy's coming too hard on her. Hey, listen, sir, I know... You have said that you don't understand why I don't reply to your DMs. You have made that clear. I have said that I'm not going to reply or I'm not interested in going on a date or giving you my number. So I wonder what else we can do since whatever you are expecting is not going to happen. Notice that the response is firm and accepting. Do not try to argue them out of their points and see things your way. That's a ticket to Jehanam, the ticket to Jehanam, the evil place, hell time, anytime. This is where the power of examples works in your favor. I will always give you, I'll always give you guys three alternatives, right? Number one, I could say that this is what I thought of, but I'm open to your suggestions, okay? We can agree to disagree. But see, I will give my brother, like when I had an issue with my brother, I gave him three options. Number one, I will call you when you give me, when you call me, when you ring me, uh, give me space. That one call, I already noticed what that call was. Number one, I will call you once I'm on my way home from work at a particular time. Say, difference between Kenyan time, when we wake up is when they go to bed. So I can be like, I'll call you when you immediately wake up because that's around the time I'm leaving work. Number two, we can set a standing day each week where I can call you. Like one of my friends, Simon, we talk once a week on Sundays or on Fridays at this particular time with this window between six and eight, this is our slot for us to discuss anything that may come up. Number three, you can email me and I will get back with you with answers if they are only a line or two. If not, I will get back to you about it the next time we speak. So you can also email me. You don't have to bother my calls because some of us get in trouble when our phone rings at work. Do you notice guys? This helps both parties communicate clearly, ask questions, be curious, and we both don't jump into conclusions. Pay attention. If we as young people don't communicate about our experiences, then all that is possible, all that we are cultivating is assumptions, which leads to more frustrations and more division. Number six, being highly sensitive 
assuming that everything that is different is bad. In our modern society, where we live now, 2022, we find ourselves drawn to people who share our beliefs and demonize those who don't. I like music. I like art. A lot of my friends, a lot of people I want to be aligned with, I hope that uh, people who like similar things so we can be pulling up to such places. It can be referred as a pack mentality. Wolf, wolf, but I'm not sure. But that gives a very little room. That's the problem. It gives a very little room for open dialogue and discussion. You're not flexible. Also, you got to pay attention to the what we call the cancel culture, which is a norm now. People are looking to be offended. I don't know if you guys have experienced this, but I have met people who really are repelled by positivity. They hate good things. They hate peace. All they understand is chaos. They hope on social media or they stroll through a neighborhood and all they see, they're all they, their eyes can fish for is offensive signs, colors, anything that they can grasp into and spin around into something negative. Negativity starts to become more normalized on positivity today. We like attacking people. Some people are addicted so much to negativity that when they come to a peaceful place, they feel like it's chaotic for them. Some people are simply more sensitive than others. I remember some of my past relationships when I was dealing with, uh, when we were going through conflict and there were some girls I dated and I could tell these people don't like a peaceful relationship. Their version of relationship based on their backgrounds is a man has to hit you. There has to be some passive aggression to keep the fire in the relationship. That's just their temperament. But I later realized it's just the way they were wired, the environment and they, how they have done a lot of self-work to help themselves. I feel the one strategy when you feel hurt by someone's remark or lack of attention is to consider how else could I think of this action except that it was meant to hurt me? Because not everybody's trying to hurt you. If somebody says they don't like your hairstyle or somebody color comments about the color of your house or your car or the investment you made in Africa, you might think that that person maybe today is having a bad day. You know, somebody the other day, I think at the gym called me, hey, bro, I see you getting that dad body. And I can tell the guy coming, he's coming from some frustrated relationship place because he's never happy at the gym. Or were they really trying to help me? By telling me, hey, Dubai, I see you're losing your six pack, bro. I see you're getting a little, a little, a little, a little fluffy. Uh, you you want to hit the mid, you want to hit the ropes with me? You want to go swimming with me? See if we can burn some calories? Maybe that's what it was. It's all perspective. Or that they could just be simply inept at being tactful with words. Some people are disabled in the art of communication. They don't know what words to use. One of my best friends didn't know how to talk to me back in the day. Oh, I don't like that girl. What's up with her nose? I don't like that girl. What's up with her feet? I'm like, who's fucking feet, man? Who's looking at the nose, man? She makes me peaceful. That nose is my nose. It's none of your business. But later I understood what he was coming from because he was expressing his needs. Unwarranted, but still, he was not tactful with his words. Number seven, having parents who modeled oversensitivity. Basically, if you grew up in an environment where you lurked personal liberties in the family, this is deep. If you're from an immigrant family, listen up, this is deep. Think about your own family, like mine from Kenya. Were there things you could not talk about? I remember in Africa, I could not talk about sex. Were, there, were you allowed at one point to be funny or not? Because I remember whenever my mom had uh, church people or my dad had uh, people from, uh, his people from work, 
they didn't want me to be funny. It was considered rude and ungodly. If you can think of anything like I did, grab a piece of paper and a pen and make a list of what was okay and not okay to say in your household. What was okay and not okay to feel? Because I was not, I was not, I was told not to cry, not to feel pain, not to act like you're depressed. No, those feelings are not allowed in an African setting. How about what you were allowed to do and not to do? My dad and my mom didn't like me being out there doing arts. They'd prefer me stay home than go there, mingle with people, learn new skills. And when I did, I was, I used to get punished for it. What if you weren't allowed to have a different point of view, a sense of free time, a change of your mind? I preferred on Saturday afternoon to play basketball with my friends, interact, go swimming. My parents preferred that I go to church and practice with the choir, which I had no interest in. An example of an unspoken rule violation, right? I have this friend. He's married into this wealthy, wealthy Kenyan family. He always wanted to marry, for, uh, marry a rich, into a rich family. It's, always, it's one of those uh, immigrant and poverty type of ambitions. Like you feel that this is the closest way, the closest way to meet the ladder and narrow that income disparity in the family. Despite a large number of family members that this guy has, all activities in his family, let's call him Jay, all activities in Jay's family are expected to be a group event. You can't go to the beach solo. This guy could not even have five minutes to call me. He has to sneak out in the bathroom to text me and stuff. Everything he tries to do, the family is just in his space. Or they, whenever he wants to play a, a simple soccer game, like they're in Maui, they're in California, this guy has no time. No one actually tells him he cannot do something. I want you guys to get clearly. But when he attempts to do it, he's peppered, he's, he's shot at with questions as to why he does not want to hang out with the rest of the family. Questions are always splat on him like, yo, are you angry with us or something? Did we do something wrong? Is this something you don't like around here? He's then given multiple alternatives of what to do with the family instead of being by himself. Remember, personal space is not respected. And if all fails, family members express hurt feelings to discourage anybody who's free-spirited in the family, any maverick, from wandering out and being and free spirit and independent by themselves. They don't want to encourage any independent thinking. If your parents at any point were easily offended, then became defensive or went on the defensive, went on the offensive, you won't have learned skills in childhood on how to handle unfriendly remarks or actions. And you will always think that this is how everyone responds to them. Okay? When you have a mindset that you need to feel hurt and fight back, you're missing out on growth opportunities. I have seen this in my friends, the ones I've lost the last four, three, six years. You are in some form of conflict with people that you don't even know you're in conflict with. They can't address their problems. You don't know where they come from or their background. And then you're stuck there in a limbo like, what the hell happened? Why did this person ghost me? Consider whether your parents' mindset was, you hurt me, I'll hurt you back. You stole from me, I'll steal from you back. You don't call me, I don't call you. Or sulking when people criticize you. If so, it's time to realize that maybe your parents are unhealthy. 
not all African parents, not all immigrant parents were healthy. So you have to understand that some of these immigrant parents, even in the States, they are unhealthy based on where they came from and how much self-work they did to themselves. They are not the role models in this respect. And look onto other people, church members, mentors, mentors, people who have done a lot of self-work to see more effective ways to respond to others. Number eight, lack of ability to give and accept feedback from others. Many in our world were not taught or allowed to give feedback to others. That prime example, myself in the African setting. At times, we were shamed for informing another what we think or feel. In the year, I think, 1994, 1995, I was in primary school, and I remember... uh, there was a kid who used to stink quite a bit at Langata Barracks Primary. Uh, I was in Langata in Nairobi. And I remember any any time, I, his name was Teddy. And I, any time I used to tell Teddy, man, I don't know if you don't shower. I don't know what's going on. Maybe it's the body. But man, them, them guys here, they be talking to you funny. And there was a girl too called Alice Kemuma. Alice Kemuma, whenever she had the, the monthly uh, visitor from uh, the universe, she would not smell the best in class. And people would giggle and make fun of them. But Every time I happen to be the friend who like goes out of my way to tell them, they would used to report me to this to this teacher and I would get really spanked. My ass would be on fire like it was stung by a thousand bees. If you don't practice sharing and accepting other people's point of view, it may not be in your heart and mind to give another. Think about a story of the listener and ask these questions. Are there reasons why they may not know or they may not know how to receive feedback. What makes you fight feedback? Number two, do they give others feedback? A lot of people receive, but are these type of people who give back? Because that kind of like can change the dynamics. Number three, in the past, have you ever seen them accept constructive feedback as well? Because there are people who don't accept any, any form of feedback. What they make is what they make. Prime example, my neighbor who makes a lot of food and is very spicy. And I tell him, bro, I know you're from Pakistan, but we have, we have a lot of American people here, a lot of white people, brown people, BIPOC people. So you got to tone it down if you're really trying to be social because no one's trying to put all that pepper and have it come out of your booty the next day in the bathroom. If somebody responds in a way that seems out of character or immature for the norm, consider you may have stepped on a history that has nothing to do with you. That is when getting curious really serves you. When someone responds in an overreactive way, and if it is appropriate, get curious as opposed to escalating the situation. Ask questions. Ask if they are uncomfortable sharing more about what they're experiencing. Ask open-ended questions. And do not try to argue with them out of their point of view, but rather find out if you're missing or you're looking for points of agreement to empathize. For example, you're at the office, right? And somebody said something to you the day before and you were pissed off. Or on Facebook, something more simpler. You could go, I am so sorry you felt attacked. That was not my intention. I hate feeling attacked as well. In that example, I empathize with the feeling of being attacked, whether it's through my post on Facebook or Snapchat, or in person on a comment I made during lunch break at work. When you know that you're not, or when you know that you're going to bring up a difficult subject, 
or respond in a way that the listener has a history of over responding, think about asking permission to bring up the subject. It's an old uh, school therapy thing. I remember we were taught when I was in St. Mary's Mosocho how to, it's called setup, the setup. Comedy, they call it the setup sometimes. And say something like, I would like to ask you about something, but I'm afraid this is going to be a hard subject for both of us. Is now a good time? This is something I did to our former headmaster when I was young. Uh, think of this one time I felt like he was biased to kids who lived in the city that was in Nairobi. The school was positioned in Nyanza in, in Kisi. And whenever issues arose, I felt like he passed judgment on all the Nairobi kids by assuming we were spoiling and bringing negative influences to the kids who came from rural or impoverished communities by making them play sports or being more diverse in their thinking. Or you can say, hey, I have something on my mind, but it's hard for me to bring it up. Can you help me by letting me say before responding? It would really help me. This is something I practice in therapy with my wife. Why does this work, you ask? Because if you ask, I received permission to bring up a hard topic, people tend to respond better. Most people like to be asked permission and help. It's a chance to shine. Hey, bro, do I have your permission? I like, we at the gym and I was wondering if you'd allow me to to tell you how to lift because your form is off or your posture or you're doing a photo shoot like some of the models I work with. Would you allow me to suggest something? A photographer, when they're asking a model to pose, or do you do you, do you mind if I suggest something? It's kind of like poses, and it's a soft landing for a lot of things. Another way is to break the cycle of offense. Another way to break the cycle of offense is to describe the dynamic that, as if you're watching TV. You know, like how you watch random shows that you like on TV. How do you watch them? Like how we watched the Oscars. Well, Oscars is a different situation. But let's see, you're watching a basketball game like KU yesterday. You watch it with no judgments, no name calling, no mind reading, or no assessment of motive, just the facts that you see from outside. Think about it. What if we did that to everybody else? No judgments, no name calling, no mind reading, or no assessment of motives, just the facts you see from the outside. Number nine. Having an abusive or traumatic childhood. This is deep because you know a lot of people have, ab- have experienced abuse, rape, molestation, and all that big stuff. People who get easily offended, to be honest, are in pain. If you research a little deeper and try to go back into history of these people, Google them or whatever, you'll find that they have gone through some version of trauma, abandonment, and negligence. This is the reason they become so emotionally isolated. When we are abused or traumatized as children, the action taken against us often gets stored in our brains differently than the less distressing memories because they are highly emotional and they are seen as a threat. Even when we are adults, we have sore spots which can easily get re-triggered. If you ever, if you ever experienced that is, if you were ever left out of activities as a child or bullied as a child, Every miscommunication in adulthood might tap into those ugly memories and make you feel as you did as a child. Remember back then when Chris Rock said in an interview that he was bullied so much, that's one of his biggest fears, like people used to walk over him, pushed in school. And this whole Will Smith thing, a lot of people are projecting that this might have been one of those moments that Will Smith, that uh, Chris Rock felt Will Smith 
re- refreshed that pain, brought those ugly memories back that he felt as a child. The way out of this is to remind yourself that you don't have to feel heavily wounded now because you're not as fragile as you were in your youth. Sometimes when people come to me with their colorism and and racism and stuff, and I remember I'm not in my 20s anymore. I'm not that young guy anymore. I can process the racism differently. I can process the colorism differently than how I used to as a youth. People impacted by complex trauma in particular may have exaggerated reactions to minor situations compared to others. This is what the scientists call the hyperarousal, something that most trauma victims experience long after the abuse ends. I came from a marital, I'm a marital union where I, my co-parent was very abusive to me. And I'm saying uh, administratively, financially, and it affected me in the later relationship that I had with a lot of women. Because to me, everything they said that was out of my scope was an attack to me. I felt like long after I left that toxic person, I was still hyper aroused by anything that somebody said that was out of line. These reactions can come across as being easily offended by others who may not even know your fucking history or may not even understand the long-term impact of the trauma that you're dealing with. So back again, get some therapy. Number 10, we have three more to go and we are done. Number 10, expecting the world to be nice to you. This is called the polarized agendas. There are people who believe in this infinite happiness world like there's this infinite happiness that's gonna come there's a perfect nirvana where everybody will get along some people have unrealistic expectations of others because i believe that perfect world does not exist they think everyone should always be nice and are not used to being criticized this often comes from having a background of stability and peace People who come from having parents and other relatives who try to cushion every critical moment and keep these kids' self-esteem high all the time. You know those kids who are always told, you're the greatest, you're the best, you're the greatest, you're the most beautiful girl, you're the most this. When they get to the real world and they're disappointed, they don't know how to handle it. These kind of kids, they grow up to be people without resources to manage criticism. They have never been told they're ugly or short or tall or incapable or not the smartest. They just don't know how to handle it. The way around this mindset is to learn that criticism can be useful and to welcome it from people we trust. Rather than think that someone's comment, meaning your actions or your choices are bad, think of it as saying you could do better. There's a DJ friend of mine, okay? I have a lot of DJ friends, so I'm not going to mention names. But I felt that his taste of music was struggling more than my taste of music of years back. And even when we did gigs, I could tell the crowd is not getting it. And he's totally convinced that he's okay, man. Look, I'm doing this. I'm like, your scratches are not hitting it. You're not getting the gigs you're used to. I want you to be more diverse. But he was just like, I am right. And this is what I'm doing. And I wish this DJ could have processed what I'm saying to be more like, you could be better. You could do better. You could diversify and come into more rooms. He took a while, but when he did do it, he noticed his business flourished. He started getting different clientele. It's all a mindset. We all know that society is polarized by politics and different worldviews. We all know there is, a, there is a political agenda by some people out here. I'm not saying Republicans or Democrats, but there are some people out here whose main political agenda is to divide and multiply 
by deliberately offending and criticizing as much as possible for political gain. The more we fight about police brutality, income inequality, uh, Black Lives Matter, Africans Unite, uh, immigrant, uh, immigrant rights, thus these people, they most likely, they do it to get a reaction. They offend people. They post all these posts and write all these things online to basically offend people. They make content to offend people. These feelings are known as self-conscious emotions. When someone is offended at small things, like if you're not answering their good morning greetings, I know you guys have seen this. I have had people on my Facebook who comment, like I post a good picture. I'm somewhere having dinner with wifey or just at the studio or I'm at a gig. Somebody writes, oh, I see you, bro. But I'm busy that day. Maybe the, the, the next 12, 13 hours, I have not been on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter. These guys go and aggressively delete it or they act like, but the notification already came. The notification already came. You're not answering to their hello. You're not answering to their, their emoji. And they're not, being, they're not being the first person informed about a change of plans. Do you have friends like this? Hey, uh, my birthday, I think I'm going to go in Vegas. Why didn't you tell me? Why didn't you tell me you're having a kid? Why didn't you tell me you're getting married? Why are you so angry? It's my wedding. It's my event. It's mine. It's not yours. These are just an example of insecurity demonstrating itself as an offense with implications of anxiety, fear, and sometimes a little sprinkle of manipulation. Number 11, holding resentments helps them feel empowered. There are some people who hold resentment. This is from a particular tribe in Kenya. I used to call it Kisi. Yeah, the Kisi people. Yeah, they have that weakness. They like holding resentments. And I don't know, some African people too, Cameroonians, Ghanaians, Guineans. I know some Africans who love holding resentments. I have seen this in boardrooms. I've seen this in meetings. They do this to feel empowered. Some people are passive aggressive because they don't know how to have an emotionally healthy conversation with others. Being passive aggressive is a form of power that they want to maintain in a relationship because they don't know how to express themselves. They force their values and beliefs upon you. What I call it, entitlement. Yes, you got it, entitlement. If people get offended, don't take it personally, man. In reality, all they want to is project their values and beliefs upon others. Why are you pissed off for me? If you don't want to tell me why you're pissed off for me, I don't know what to do. I don't know if when I'm trying to reach out to you, it's if offending you some more, but it also takes some human work. Humans love drama. Some humans love drama. Not all of us love drama, but some humans love drama and they thrive on it. This could be a sore spot or offensive in and it in and of itself. Yet we have raised, we've been raised in a society of people that feel entitled to everything and they're responsible for nada, for nothing. It is easy to be offended by small things if your major needs are met. Look, you have a house over your head. I call Seattle one of the peak cities where people are easily offended after San Francisco, where people are finding things to demonstrate about and complain about. And people call it like, uh, oh, this city is like very socialist. And I'm not, I just feel like when your basic needs are met, you're in a good city, a good landscape, good environment, you know, in the middle of Montana or somewhere, you tend to start looking for things. Oh my God, I don't like coffee to have this so much sugar and I want this seven types of milk, oat milk, almond milk. I mean, you look for things to be offended by because your major needs are met. Conversely, it is easy to feel victimized if you're not being met, your needs are not being met. But you don't have to make people responsible for them. You need a lot of self-work. Our last point of the day, this is important. A lot of people are easily offended. They actually do need love and compassion. They just don't know how to say it. 
When we encounter people like this who are constantly making grudges and being offended by small things, we want to avoid them naturally. That's a natural reaction because that's how I do. There's some people I've not spoken to this year who I was very close last year. There's people I worked with last year or the year before I'm not close to this year. But maybe these people require love and empathy more than anything else. Everyone deserves empathy and regard. If we give them the same compassion instead of avoiding them, then we will understand that is not personal and they have their own work to do. Sometimes they just need recognition. They just need to be loved. They just give them respect and maintain a healthy boundary in a relationship with them. That being said, we do know that it's not easy to avoid offending people because some people are just naturally going to be offended. But you can do self-work on yourself. Remember, our language, the words we use, the tone, the pace, the intonation, and other nonverbal communications such as the body language, they form a critical part of our communication with each other, and they feed into our view of the world. Our perspective, guys. Mandem, our perspective. While we all use the same words, sometimes loosely and interchangeably, Every word that comes out of our lips, out of our mouths, has a different implied meaning to each of us. Based on our outlook of the world, language is important to make sure you're not misunderstood and your meaning and intention is clear. One thing to help in mind that, to, one thing to keep in mind that is offensive are the comments. You don't need to, to, to digest and soak in and eat any offensive thing that you see on the street. Interpreting comments that are not meant for you. It is how they come to develop this interpretation, these people, that varies from person to person. It is also the reason why not all offensive comments should be perceived as offensive. I want you to ask yourself these questions. Are you easily offended? Here's a test before I leave you. Do you explode? These are questions you ask yourself. This is a test. I have five of them. Number one, do you explode in fits of anger over little things? Number two, do others say, do others say you make mountains over a memorial? Like do others say you're overreacting? Man, that was not a big deal. Number three, do you frequently take things the wrong way? Number four, do others feel they have ha they have to walk on eggshells around you? Like, oh, bro, this guy, this guy, man, this guy will be pissed off. Number five, do others consider you high maintenance? If so, your hypersensitivity is robbing you of happiness. I know it's much easier for me to tell you to stop taking things so personally than it is to stop taking things so personally. But still, there are ways to thicken our skin to thicken your skin and enjoy life with more happiness and less contentions and hurt feelings. Thank you for listening to me. My name is General Mutombo. Monday, 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 Monday. It's, another, it's been another real, real set, real podcast. Thank you. Thank you again for tuning in. All my listeners from Saudi Arabia to Germany to Denmark to Belgium to Kenya to South Africa to Nigeria to Ghana. I love you, man. I love you for your continuous support. Everybody in Europe, Canada, everybody who's listening to me in the States, thank you and stay positive. It's your board. The Fresh Prince of Africa signing out. My life.
money but what's the money, 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 money Cause getting hurt by love wasn't funny, 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 funny But I never thought, never win my wildest dreams That I would find someone like you Put a smile in your face I just wanna let you know you amaze I just wanna let you know baby you're driving me crazy When I'm with you I just can't behave Somebody's so beautiful So many things I wanna do to you You're high class so patience is nothing new to you You're high class so ain't nobody can get it And if they tryna holler then tell these forget it Cause you're mine Girl I never leave you behind Because you're mine You're the only one on my mind Baby you're mine You're the only one that I need I ain't tryna mess around, I'm tryna make you believe Baby, you the best that I had I love you cause you made me your dad I'm sorry for the times that I'm bad And I cherish all the time that we have I love you deeply, baby, baby All I cared about was the money, 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 money Cause getting hurt by love wasn't funny, 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 funny But I never thought, never win my wildest dreams that I would find someone like you
Thank you for tuning in to the show. Please remember to like, share, and subscribe to Now available on all platforms. Au revoir.